Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty on demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. All right, so it's part two of our year in review. Looking back at what happened this year politically, what we have to learn to make sure it can never, ever, ever, ever happen again. Uh, And the Democrats and what they were able to do all in the name of covid My guest, Kyle Olson with Breitbart News as we go through the biggest stories of this year. Kyle, I want to get to this Stacey Abrams uh, story. You know, it's interesting, and there's two stories with Stacey Abrams. One of them for me is I still laugh at the fact that she's never conceded the election, which, of course, the left is going insane because Donald Trump hasn't conceded the election, uh, saying that he believes there's still voter fraud. And we'll, we'll deal with that story in a little bit, but it is funny that the poster child for the Democratic Party and minority women has become Stacey Abrams, the woman who refused to ever admit that she actually lost the election there. And not only that, but also Stacey Abrams figured out, hey, you don't have to win the whole state of Georgia. You just got to carpet bomb ballots in, in, in Georgia and in the county of Jordan Fulton, and we can do everything to change the state and make it go against Donald Trump. That is a huge story this year, what happened in Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, it's not just Georgia. It's places like Michigan, um, Colorado, uh, states across the country. They fundamentally change the way that they do elections. 
And you just take Michigan, for example, and I think the situation is the same in Georgia. So uh, in Michigan, there's a, a Democrat secretary of state. She went over the heads. Traditionally in Michigan, um, elections are conducted by, by township and city clerks. And then they work with the county clerk in order to do the election. And so if you, if you are going to, if you can't vote in person, if you want an absentee ballot, you go to your township or city clerk and you request a ballot. And they send you, they send you this application, you sign it, they send you the ballot, et cetera. Well, what Jocelyn Benson did was she went above the heads of all of the local people who run the elections, and she sent out applications to every single voter in the state, which created chaos. Because what it did was it created a situation where suddenly townships and cities, Detroit's a good example, where they had to count tons and tons of absentee ballots, and they didn't have the personnel, they didn't have the equipment, they didn't have the machinery, the election machinery, in order to be able to do that, which is one of the reasons why you saw the chaos that we all saw play out in Detroit. Um, this is what they wanted to do, because then, of course, if you don't have the personnel and the machines to do that, well, then they drop their guard and they don't check signatures or they don't verify that that the voter can actually vote, um, as we saw in, in Detroit. So this was, I think, completely planned. Um, they, they exploited the pandemic in order to do that. And if Georgia doesn't get their act together, they're going to do the same thing uh, in the runoff in January. You, you know, you look at this runoff that is coming and people say, all right, are we on our A game now? Right. Like, are we going to be able to pull this off now? Uh, are we going to be able to secure this vote to make sure it's not done the way it was before? Let, let's talk about that. What did we learn in Georgia and have we corrected the problem at all? Well, I, I don't know. Um, what I've seen over the last couple of weeks is Stacey Abrams. Um, I mean, she, she's sort of the uh, to me, she's sort of the cat that that ate the canary. And she seems very confident that she's going to get away with it, uh, as, I, as she apparently did in uh, November. And uh, she very, seems very confident. Joe Biden, when he was there campaigning for uh, Warnock and Ossoff, he seemed very confident that they are going to be able to do a repeat and, and win Georgia again. Let, let's talk about what we need to learn. And I think you'll understand what I mean by this as a group of conservatives that just got the living crap beat out of us. And I'm talking about outmaneuvered politically using covid and Democrats have talked about this forever. Never let a crisis, you know, you know, Rahm Emanuel or whoever the hell it was. that said, you know, a, a crisis basically is the perfect way to gain power, never waste a crisis to seize control or to get something done. We've seen that in the most recent spending bill where we're giving mm -hmm. actual foreign aid to China, for example, and China buys up our debt. So we're, we're, we're borrowing money from China to then give money to China. That's not a joke. That's what we're actually doing now in this country. And you look at this stimulus, it's a measly $600 originally was planned for Americans and all this pork barrel spending, a.k.a. never let a crisis go without figuring out a way to use it to your advantage. Democrats are beating us at this game. What is it that we have to do to stop it from happening again? Because 
I want to know two years from now, if there's a COVID 2.0 or 3.0 or 4.0, that Republicans are going to finally outmaneuver the Democrats. We already know their playbook. It used a crisis, make it a crisis, figure out a crisis if you need it to get what you want. Yeah, that's I, I don't know. I don't I don't know if Republicans will be able to do that because the spending bill is a perfect example. So they settled. Uh, they agreed to all of this foreign aid and all of this pork barrel spending, as you said, and the six hundred dollar checks. And the president came out and threatened to veto it. And he said he wanted two thousand dollar checks in exchange for getting rid of the pork. Well, all I'm hearing from Congress is two thousand dollar checks. They're not talking anything about getting rid of the pork. And so what has happened, I fear, is that President Trump now is somehow on the losing end of this, where he is trying to look out for Americans and not for, you know, Sudan and Pakistan and Sri Lanka and all of these places around the world that people would scratch their heads and say, why are we giving $10 million to Pakistan for gender programs? Why are we doing that? Why don't we support Americans first? Why don't we make sure there was another, another country that was getting uh, tens of millions of dollars to improve their schools? Well, why don't we improve our schools in America? Because there's a whole lot of schools in Memphis and Detroit and across the country that are not serving kids. And so maybe we should be Maybe we should be spending our time and our effort on improving American schools. But what I fear is going to happen is that they're going to increase the spending on the checks, and we can debate whether or not that's a good thing, but there's not going to be any sort of offset or any sort of acknowledgement that we should not be giving $10 million to Pakistan for gender programs or fixing boats in Sri Lanka or all of these other things that the American taxpayers who are still reeling from the coronavirus, who are still dealing with lockdowns in places like New York and Michigan and California and across the country, we're still dealing with that. And yet we now are going to have to fund all of these other countries for all of these programs that have no discernible value to the, uh, to the average American citizen. Kyle, you know, one of the things that I think is just from this year, and it's, it's truly been astounding to me, uh, and it's something now that I'm learning. Uh, there is a massive di- disconnect in this country. People don't seem to understand that when this money is wasted, it is your money. When they give you $600 or $800 or $2,000, re- remember, they're not giving you their money. We, we've seemed to forget, for, forgotten in this country that the government is, doesn't exist without us, without our tax dollars. And, and yet there's a massive disconnect in this country right now. People not understanding and not realizing that this is our money. When you hear about this pork barrel spinning, where we're actually giving foreign aid to China, but China loans us money, so we're borrowing money from China to then give money to China. And, and Senator Rand Paul pointed out so brilliantly this past week how just it, insane this is, right? It's It's total insanity it's absolutely crazy uh that we're doing this but but this is there seems to be a huge disconnect with many americans that don't understand that the 600 dollars is not something you should be thankful for or 800 or a thousand or two thousand it's your damn money right 
That's right. And and so you have the politicians come out and they say, look, we passed this bill. Aren't we just aren't you thankful for us? And yet you have people in Michigan and New York and, and California and across the country saying, I just want to go to work. I want to provide for my family. I want my kids to go to school. I want to be able to open my business. You're not allowing me to do that. I I interviewed a, uh, a business owner in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan where uh, she owns a restaurant and currently in Michigan, uh, in-person dining is banned. You can do takeout, but you can't eat in the restaurant. And uh, so then the governor announced that these grants would be available. And it was like a $15,000 grant to sort of help you with your payroll and those sorts of things to kind of get through this time. And so this this woman that I, I spoke to, the business owner, she went, uh, she was told when she could apply. So she went online to apply and she was 8,917th in line. She waited 10 hours in order to apply, but it wasn't to apply for the grant. It was to apply to see if she would have an opportunity, if she would qualify to apply for the grant. And so then so then the governor comes out and, and she can say, well, see what I'm doing for you. I'm providing this grant where what would be better is to open up businesses, open up schools, open up restaurants, let people go back to work. People don't want handouts from the government. They want to be able to provide for their families. They want to go back to work. It is it is truly amazing. I want to pivot to another big storyline of the year, and it was about the return of sports, the civil unrest, Black Lives Matter, and Antifa. Early on, I think Democrats realized they had to figure out a way to divide the country. This was pre-COVID-19, and the best way to do it was to divide among racial lines because what you were having was you had a president of the United States of America that was incredibly popular at that moment. And they needed something to inspire voters and to say, you can't vote for Donald Trump because you're racist uh, if you do. You can't support Donald Trump because you're racist if you do. And out of that came this, hey, let's seize on police brutality, Black Lives Matter, Antifa. Let's shut down cities and let's have these cities of Chaz. Let's have 100 days in Portland, 200 days of riots and looting and things like this. And let's see if we can get so much civil unrest that people actually say, well, if we just get rid of Trump, it'll all go away. And that seemed to be the game plan of the Democratic Party until obviously COVID happened. They go, oh, this one's better and easier. But before that happened, we had a country that was in total civil unrest. Your reaction to that? Absolutely. And they were uh, they were using these situations where there was an officer involved shooting. Um, that, you know, by at least according to media accounts, it appeared to be justified. Um, the, the person was had a weapon and they were lunging at the officer or that sort of thing. But that didn't matter. People were still uh, uh, looting. They were still rioting. They were still burning down businesses. They were still attacking people. Um, and they still were trying to perpetuate this narrative. And, you know, one of the one of the things during the campaign that I thought was the most disgusting was when virtually, because uh, for Breitbart, I had to watch basically every single one of Joe Biden's speeches and and cover it. I'm sorry, and, by the way, that uh, that's, that sounds like <laughs> cruel and unusual punishment. I blame I blame I, your, your employer for that. I, I, I needed combat pay for that. But um, 
one of the, the most offensive things, and he would say it in virtually every speech, was he would, he would invoke Charlottesville and what happened in Charlottesville. And he, then he would say how Donald Trump, President Trump, said that there were uh, very fine people on both sides. And he would invoke the Klan and the neo-Nazis and all of that. And he would somehow say that President Trump was saying that they were very fine people, which anyone with half a brain knows that that is not true. And that's not I don't believe that's what's in President Trump's heart. But but Joe Biden exploited that. He distorted that and he used that to divide Americans. And so, as you were saying, any American who supported Donald Trump, they were racist. They were sexist. They were, you know, all of these various things. And and that's their playbook, Kyle. Their playbook is if we are losing or if we can't win on the actual issues, if we can't win because we have a good economy, then call them a racist, call them a bigot, call them a homophobe, call them any of these things. And you'll win. That's their game plan. But first, if you want to help the people in Georgia with what's going on there with the Senate election, then you need to join AMAC, the number one conservative organization in the country, for free right now. I'm going to give you a free membership because it's important that we now stand with the people of Georgia and that we fight to make sure that they have a free and fair election. Uh, whatever happens in Georgia is what's going to be what, what, what's going to happen with the country. What's going to happen in Georgia is going to decide the fate of an unbelievable amount of legislation. If they're able to win in Georgia, it is over. The Democrats control the House, the Senate, and the White House. So if you are ready to get in on all this action and to fight back and to stand with other conservatives to protect the Senate, join the number one conservative organization in the country right now. It is called AMAC for free. That's right, for free. Call them. Use my name, Ben, when you call them. Uh, or you can go online to benfreeonline.com. That's benfreeonline.com. www.benfreeonline.com. You can get your free membership to the number one conservative organization in the country, benfreeonline.com. That's benfreeonline.com. Come and join the number one conservative organization in the country. Kyle, I want to get back uh, to a point we were talking about earlier. There's an obsession with the left that any time they don't have anything to offer us, they, they immediately say that we are racist, we're bigots, we're homophobe. You, know, you can't support Donald Trump or you're racist. You can't vote for him or you're racist. You can't have a MAGA hat or you're a racist. You can't uh, go to a Trump rally without being called a racist. And the media, of course, helps perpetuate this as almost fact that it oh well you know you can't support donald trump let's be clear what just happened 74 million americans voted for donald trump that means that 74 percent of americans are racist if you listen to the democrats but it's really when they do this it's because they have nothing to offer and early on this year they were really in trouble in this election they knew they were in trouble and so that's when they started playing this racism card again. Then it was, you know, same thing with COVID. Well, if you don't wear your mask, you're trying to kill people, and, and you're nothing but a crazy whack job racist that, that supports Donald Trump, implying that the only people that weren't wearing masks were Trump supporters, when in reality, 
If you looked at the Black Lives Matter rallies and protests around the country, they weren't wearing masks, the majority of the people there. And the media never criticized them for having the largest rallies in the year and not wearing their masks. Meanwhile, if you went to a Trump rally, they said you're trying to you're a super spreader event. You're trying to kill everybody. Your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we saw that we saw those protests in uh, Detroit, Michigan, and across the country, they were endorsed by governors, they were endorsed by other politicians and elected officials. The media was right there to you know, broadcast everything that happened. And those were never questioned, but you're absolutely right. If there was a Trump rally, or if there was a protest uh, that took place like outside the, the Capitol in Lansing, Michigan, uh, people protesting the lockdowns, and the you know mask orders and all of that well then suddenly that was the headline was that people were risking people's lives and in fact what we saw in in michigan with gretchen whitmer was um, she defended the the george floyd protests because that was protected she she claimed that was protected by the first amendment and so there's an exemption for that Um, but if you wanted to protest her lockdown orders and ordering that schools be closed and businesses be closed, well, you're just threatening people's safety and you're you're threatening their health. And uh, and and you know, to me, the most audacious maybe uh, of of all of them was was Anthony Fauci when he w- himself would justify these you know Black Lives Matter protests, the George Floyd protests. Because that was somehow a civic duty and, uh, you know, the the coronavirus, well, that wouldn't circulate in a protest like that. But if you're critical of the government, if you're critical of Democrat governors, well, you're endangering people's health and you shouldn't be doing that. Will we. A better way of putting it is let me let me say it a different way than I was going to say it. Will this card, this constant race card come off the table now if Donald Trump exits on January the 20th or do you think this is going to be there indefinitely for the Democratic Party that any time they can't fight or run on an issue they just go back to screaming you're a racist you're a bigot you're a homophobe xenophobe the list goes on and on well I I, no, I think it will remain I I had on uh, my radio show Paris Denard who now works for the RNC he was a great uh, is a great you know, champion of former of colleague of mine over at CNN. We were fighting the good fight there. I know him well. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And um, and so he and we talked about this and he said, you know, basically this is, as you've been saying, this is the go to thing for the Democrats. What was different about President Trump was that he wasn't a Republican who just took it or who just fled. He fought back. And, and not only that, but he had a record to run on the lowest black unemployment rates, um, he had the First Step Act. He had the Platinum Plan. He had all sorts of things that he could point to that he was doing um, for black Americans, but for all Americans, because a low unemployment rate is good. Well, and that's something else that we have to talk about. And that is, you know, why Donald Trump, they had to do everything they could to get rid of him is because he actually empowered minorities like no other president in history. And that's a fact. We're talking about statistically. Statistically, what he was able to accomplish is something that no one else had ever accomplished in this 
country's history. All right, we'll continue uh, with part three of our year in review tomorrow in our podcast. And so make sure uh, that if you missed uh, part one, you can go backwards in the podcast and download it as we do this three-part series uh, reviewing uh, this year and all that we need to learn from what actually happened this year. Uh, It has been quite an interesting uh, political year to figure out what in the world is going on. All right, part three, tomorrow. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast, tell your family and friends about it, and I'll leave it at that. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 